What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. I am Brendan Nunez, and back from Hawaii, we got Rich Ivanowski. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing good, man. I am out of Mexico and into stormy, stormy Texas. Uh, you will probably hear some thunderclaps in the background throughout this recording. But uh, yeah, we've also got my friend and boss, uh, one of my friends and one of my bosses, uh, associate editor of Sacktown Realty. Greg is here today, and I'm really excited to have him. What's happening, Greg? Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate you taking the time to come on. And we figured for this episode, the last couple we were covering the draft, we had a pre-draft and then reactions to the guys picked after. And there were a couple things that happened during that time. So we're taking this as a little bit of an update and potentially a little bit of a game between Rich and Greg. If we get to that, I would play part, but I wrote the questions, so I would probably win. We'll start with talking about Harrison Barnes opting out. Um, I guess just to start on it, was it expected that he was going to opt out? I know we were hoping it, but to turn down $25 million when that's definitely not what his market value is, was it a little surprising? I mean, I don't think it was necessarily surprising because, I mean, we've seen this before and, and we've seen several cases of it in the past week or two. You know, other guys have also turned down more than what they could get in the open market. And I think a lot of what we see these days is that players realize that, yeah, that one year at an above average level is good. But if you can get a slightly lesser amount, but lock up your money for the next four years, that's a lot better for you career wise, because of course, you know, kind of what we saw in the finals. I mean, every player is one significant injury away from having things really thrown out of whack. And, you know, we've seen, plenty of players who gambled on themselves and then lost because of it, because they did have an injury or had a down year or any number of other things that can happen. So it's a lot of money to turn down. And I'd love to someday be in a position where I could turn down $25 million. (laughs) Uh, But I think it softens the blow when you know that you can sign a multi-year contract for 15 to 20 million still and and have it be many, many years of it. You know, that's, I I think that if you had asked me before he declined it, I would have said, I think he is going to decline it. Uh, I think like all year I would have said, I think that he'll decline the option and sign a longer term deal. And yet maybe just as a Kings fan, when he declined it, I suddenly still felt nervous. (laughs) Does anyone relate to that? 
I've been getting people talking crap to me saying that he's not going to come back, but I've just been defending it the whole time. So I feel like him opting out, he must know that there's more money on the table for a longer amount of time. And I feel like the Kings likely had this conversation with him. Yeah, I mean, I would be stunned, absolutely stunned. I mean, crazy things have happened, but I'd be so surprised if he did not come back to the Kings. Uh, the only part that makes me nervous is seeing what that new number is going to be, because <laughs> yeah. whatever it is, we're, we're now going to be on the hook for that for probably four years. <laughs> yeah, and I also think getting that, like the Harrison Barnes news was followed by or preceded by almost immediately by the Al Horford opt-out. And then, you know, hearing that Horford was going to depart or is planning on departing the Celtics, that just makes me, it made me like clench up a little bit like, oh no, even when it feels like a sure thing, sometimes this happens. But um, yes, I am comforted by your confidence, Greg. And uh, I I, uh, I will not let my nervous nature get the better of me. I, I do think that Barnes will return. Um, I know we saw on Instagram that he was out to lunch with Vlade and Vivek and uh, that circulated around Twitter, some pictures of that and they're smiling and they look happy. So, you know, no reason to assume there's any issue there. You talked about Horford opting out made your stomach turn a little bit. I was halfway into a tub of ice cream. I was just so upset. I could not do it. It's going to suck for the Celtics. I would love him on the Kings, but to keep on topic with Barnes, I think that uh, there was a much harder schedule once he reached the team. And there was obviously, you know, we brought him in to play three and fill that hole. And then Jaeger spent a lot of time playing him at the four, which he was used to in Dallas. But to me, it feels like he's best used as a three, having Bagley at that four, um, put up 14 points a game, five and a half rebounds. On nice splits, 45%, 40% from deep, and 80% from the field. Um, the number we've been throwing around, Greg, you talked about being a little bit nervous about it. We've been saying four years, $80 million. So cutting $5 million off annually and giving him three more years. Does that seem about fair? And honestly, I think it's probably an overpay for what his value is. But we've said it a couple times, it's sort of that Sacramento tax. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I mean, I I would like it if the number came in under twenty. I mean, that's the the ideal. Something under twenty a year would be great. Um, the other thing I'd be happy about is you know, maybe the first year's you know a little over twenty, but it trails down year over year. The Kings have been pretty good about how they've structured contracts uh, with Ken Catnell, kind of seeing over that part of the front office. 20 is probably realistic because you know, the rule of thumb I've always had is take what you think a guy's worth, add a couple million to it, and that's probably where he's going to end up, just the way the NBA seems to work out. like Guys always end up making like a, a million or two more than you think they're going to. Yeah, the other thing with, with Harrison Barnes, though, is just that you know, when we look at his transition to the Kings, like you watch those games, and early on it was clear he was not comfortable. I mean, he really struggled at first when he joined the team to kind of figure out where he fit in the offense, kind of how he could contribute. He was still playing good defense, which doesn't really show up in the stat sheets. Uh, but he kept that up the whole time he was here, and his numbers improved month over month as he got comfortable. 
So I'm all about keeping him. And even if the number's a little bit higher than I'd prefer, that's still preferable to me than seeing him walk. Like I'm fine with, you know, if it ends up being 20, you know, fine. If it ends up over 20, I'm going to be a little upset, but that'll more just be it. You know, where did we lose the negotiation as opposed to, um, you know, the fact that he's going to still be around. I've got him in a tier that's that's pretty high too among wing free agents, and Brendan and I will break down uh, small forwards uh, tomorrow uh, when we record tomorrow. But I mean, there's something about I, I think something about this market that makes me feel that he could easily get over twenty a year, and I don't know that I, I really have a problem with it when you consider the type of small forwards that are out there. You've got your elite guys like Kawhi, and then it kind of—I think it's a pretty clear one, two, three with Kawhi, Jimmy Butler, Chris Middleton, and then it's like a pretty big drop off. And so I could see a team feeling like they needed to get a small forward because small forwards—it's—it's it's such a position of need for basically every team in the league. You, every team wants to add another solid three and D small forward. So I mean, if this is a hundred dollar. Sorry, a hundred million dollar contract. I'm honestly not going to be stunned, and I'm honestly not going to be mad, really. Hmm. You know, interesting because I almost went the other direction a little bit. I looked through teams that I felt like needed a starting small forward, and I felt like that's what that's the role that Barnes would want here. And just to go through, I have a list of six different teams. Aside, I left out Toronto and Golden State. I mean, they both could potentially have holes, but that's up in the air with KD Kawhi. Um, first one I saw was the Denver Nuggets. They're at negative 12 million this offseason. The Detroit Pistons, uh, negative 14. The Pacers, uh, Bogdanovich is up in the air. So they have 32 million. That's a real option. The Blazers have always had a hole there. Negative 28 million though. Uh, the San Antonio Spurs only have 4 million. And the last team I had was the Washington Wizards only have 2 million available. So I was kind of, ask the question is it potential that you're offering even less money or is that just too dangerous to even play with you don't want to offend Barnes because I get what you're saying there's not that many top tier aside from those first three small forwards but I don't feel like there's teams that desperately have that need necessarily so would it be dangerous if you threw him say your first offer a four-year 70 I think where you have to look at, when you did that analysis, did you look at teams that could use a stretch four? I did not. Um, I did consider that a bit, but I was kind of going on the idea that I would think Barnes would want to be in that three role. And the only reason I ask is because, you know, in the modern game, you know, I think more than what position he's going to play, I think he's going to care about you know getting a, a good payday if we're honest like so i don't think you can lowball him because if if it meant that he was just going to play a little bit more of a, a small ball four i i don't think he's going to balk at that because i mean he he did it in dallas he you know did it in various lineups in golden state like he's capable of doing that you know like we saw in sacramento he got used that way too but uh so i I, I I don't think they can lowball him, and I don't think they'll even necessarily try, just because I don't see him opting out if he wasn't confident there was good money on the table. 
I think you've got a pretty good point there, Brendan, regarding those teams you brought up. Um, and same with you, Greg, as far as the stretch four, because, you know, he is a versatile player. He could be plugged in in either of those positions. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, it's for me, my it's uh, if I'm looking at this, the lens of the Kings, I'm also thinking, like, what's the other option for the Kings? Yeah, because if Barnes were to to walk, I mean, I just don't see what the Kings do at the three or the four. I mean, hey, maybe we all love Justin James, but like he's not <laughs> ready to, to start at the three, obviously. Like, I mean, maybe you go all out and try to get, you know, the other bogey. We get we get uh we get Boyan and 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 uh Bogdan in Sacramento, but uh I mean maybe you throw like a one year offer at Ariza or something. Uh, uh, maybe you way overpay Kelly Oubre. I just, I feel like Barnes is such a great presence and he is a guy that this essentially the Kings paid something significant for, even though the trade value itself in uh, Justin Jackson and in Zebo, it wasn't much that that was traded. They did reserve that cap space all year for that move. They finally made that move. They, you know, that was essentially their whole off season was, was keeping something available for Barnes as well. So I just don't understand the replacement you'd make in. And I'm not saying that 25 million a year would be a smart contract or a value contract. I just, if this comes out, that's a hundred million, four years, a hundred million. I'm not going to lose my mind is, is all I'm saying. Yeah, totally fair. I think that you both made really good points there. I agree with you. There's nobody I'd rather have minus those elite guys in this small forward position rather than Barnes. And I feel like it, I can pretty comfortably say, and let me know if you would agree with this, Greg, that if he gets that $4 million contract, that him being only 27 years old, he instantly becomes a part of the King's core. Oh, yeah. I mean, the the big appeal to him is that he's an established veteran. He's a productive player. He doesn't have to be the focal point in the offense. And in fact, is probably better if he's not being used in that way. And he just turned 27. Like he's you know, not that much older than the rest of the young guys. Like he can grow with them and, you know, he's not going to be ready to retire by the time, you know, Fox and Bagley are coming into their prime. Like he's going to be you know, maybe on the, the downward end, depending on how quickly they progress. But I mean, that's a big part of the reason why he's appealing compared to, you know, some other possibilities that would be out there. Are you currently paying off student debt, interested in improving your financial literacy, or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. To move on to the other bit of player news we have, there was an article by Jason Anderson that came out on the SACB talking about how Willie Cauley-Stein wants out of Sacramento. I don't think any of us are torn no! by this. I know. I know. We can all pretend to be upset. <laughs> And the worst thing is seeing that 
all these fans of other teams being so interested in actual beat reporters and everything just being like, oh my God, this guy's available. Like Sacramento doesn't want him back. And it, it just, <laughs> it's crazy. But his agent came out, said that he doesn't want uh, Sacramento to extend the qualifying offer, which even if the fit was a little better in Sacramento and the relationship went better, restricted free agency isn't very player friendly. Uh, but we're not exactly looking for him to come back either. The Kings have until June 30th to extend that qualifying offer of 6.2 million. And just to read some of the quotes from here, um, there's this from his agent that we kind of hope that things would change over the years and Willie would get a chance to expand his game and get a chance to get some consistency there in terms of roster turnover and the coaching turnover and the things that have not been steady there. Rich, I know you put out a tweet from the Kings Bulls Twitter. <laughs> How it was so spot on. Willie Cauley-Stein complaining about consistency. It's from, I mean, the irony, it's so rich. Uh, we, that's all we've ever wanted from Willie Cauley-Stein is to to give consistent effort on the floor each night and to hear back that his reasoning for wanting to leave Sacramento is a lack of consistency. <laughs> I mean, first of all, he's actually like, he's not crazy for saying that. Like it, it's, it's, it, it's, it's unfair, but like, he's not completely crazy for saying that if you look over the whole scope of time, but he only had two coaches, right? So that's not the issue. Like the issue is you not doing what you're supposed to do on a night in night out basis. We don't need to, to have, you know, to hash through it completely. You and I, Brendan on this podcast have gone through in vivid detail, what we don't appreciate about Willie Collie Stein's game. It's unfortunate because I do think that he's a perfectly great guy and that he deserves all the success in the world, but we've only ever questioned his, desire to truly work for it on a night in night out basis. And man, I mean, consistency has been the key word on him pretty much his whole career. And to see that, <laughs> I don't even know. to see that, like to see that he's asking for that, it just felt like the weirdest and most aggressive, like way to phrase that from his agent. I was astonished. It was the best meme, meme use I've ever seen. But another, I mean, just to read through this a little bit more, I mean, what was the player that Willie Cauley-Stein previously compared himself to? Was it Porzingis? Yes. Yeah. So this quote kind of goes on that, that this is from Willie. I just want to hoop freely. That's kind of the biggest thing for me, just going somewhere, whether whether it's here or anywhere else, just taking the next evolution to the game where you're not just a rim runner, you're a pick and pop guy sometimes. You can get rolling with what the defense gives you. I want to be that dude. And his agent talks about how we haven't felt that he's been able to get what has been necessary for him to be able to lead the franchise the way he wants to. I mean, Greg, this is, has, this is borderline offensive. Yeah, this like, is borderline offensive. Has like, Stein <laughs> ever, Greg, has Collie Stein ever given you the impression of a leader or this consistency wanting? Or I mean. In pick and pops, like his mid-range, he shot 33% from anything that was mid-range last year. I mean, what am I missing here? 
Yeah, I mean, that's what's so funny about Willie, right, is he has these, like, grandiose ideas of what he is as a player. And, like, you sure shoot barely over 30% on mid-range jumpers when you are being left wide open because opposing defenses know you can't hit that shot. Like, it's, it's amazing. Like, I mean... Hey, more power to him. I, I I hope he finds a lucrative situation that you know with a team that believes in him. Um, I I was thrilled when we drafted Willie. I mean, for his tenure to end, you know, the way that it seems to be going, it is such a disappointment because he was supposed to be this versatile defender, this like you know guy who could do you know a little bit of everything and we saw flashes of it. Like he can do all those things we thought he could do. He just doesn't do any of them consistently enough to make you be able to rely on him or, or be willing to pay him. And I mean, even going back to the start of the season when he was playing so well and we were so excited and we were writing articles about like, yes, if this is who Willie Colley sign is, pay the man. Like he's going to earn it. Like this is awesome. And he couldn't, make it a full year being consistent in a contract year. <laughs> like yeah. it tells you everything you need to know. Yeah. I wrote, I wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote that article. I wrote and I wrote an article about how this is the way that's going to get paid. And to be fair, like he was averaging like 18 points and 10 boards a game in the first across the first seven games. And it completely disappeared. Yeah. And what the irony of that is I'll have to link that article somewhere in, in the tweet for this episode. But the irony is like what I was saying in that article was it's because he's, he refused to take a shot outside of four feet from the basket. He was only finishing at the rim and he completely eliminated his mid range game. I don't think he took a shot outside of the paint in the, in those seven games and it was working great. Like it was working great. And then he says he wants to be like, Porzingis and he says he wants to be you know he compliments uh Carl Anthony Towns and these guys and like you look at them and these guys are averaging a couple blocks a game shooting 40 percent from three and you're like this couldn't be two more different types of players to be fair to his agent and to Willie like I, I completely get where they're coming from with this because you mentioned him Brennan like Restricted free agency sucks for players. It's not good for players at all. The team has all the leverage in the world. There's zero reason to think that the Kings won't give the qualified offer. They have no incentive not to. Um, they can rescind it at any point if they need to get out of his cap hold. It, you know, they can try to leverage it into, you know, a trade of some sort, which recent sign and trades, you aren't getting a lot back, but at least you get something. Um, so, I, I still wouldn't be surprised if the Kings do the qualifying offer, but I get why Willie and his agents are trying to convince the Kings not to. Yeah. But really, this is just kind of a, please give us more leverage to negotiate with other teams, which I don't think will be successful. <laughs> no, and my thing is that I, I see his offseason going one of two ways, that he goes to a terrible team that decides, hey, we might as well let this guy try this for no good reason, or maybe a contender tries to sway him and be like, listen, we need you to just be this rim runner. And it doesn't seem like he's going to accept that, but if Houston comes at him and is willing to offer 
I mean, I don't think he's getting more than like a two-year small contract because he needs to prove himself if this is what he wants to be. But say Houston came at him, gave him even a one-year, $5 million contract because the market's terrible. That is he going to turn that down to get an opportunity to be in the Western Conference Finals? And maybe that smacks him into realizing, hey, I can be very effective and have an impact if I play this role. Or does a team like the Hornets come in where it's like, hey, we have nothing going on, no sort of center, no upside, really, it feels like in any sort of way, we're going to let Cully Stein shoot however many jump shots he wants a game. All of a sudden, we got a Cully Stein, Kimball Walker pick and roll, pick and pop, sorry. <laughs> I mean, and I think that that's really where they're coming from is to have the flexibility to take those offers to join a winning team if they decide to go that route, you know, because as a restricted free agent, that's just unrealistic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if, you know, let's say Willie wants to just take the mid level to join somewhere good. Like, I mean, let's throw this out there. The Lakers would make sense as a place to throw a mid level at him. If they struck out on a bunch of other guys, right. That's 9 million a year though. The Kings are probably going to match if he's only 9 million a year. Ooh, um, over one year. Yeah, I mean, how many? A, how many years? If it's talking? like, I mean, you could do a multi-year deal, but if if he is going to be under contract for nine million a year, the Kings would be silly not to match it. As much as Kings fans may want to see Willie gone, if it's a one-year deal, if it's a multi-year deal, they're not going to let him walk for nine million. Yeah. It just wouldn't make sense because if you can lock him up for a couple years for nine million, that's a trade asset. Yeah. And I think that Cauley Stein would be too offended to take anything more than one year at that rate with the way that it seems like he feels about himself. I'll go on the record here and say that I think that's a, an overpay. I think that's it with the, with the, the level of replacement of centers around the league with what you can get for a minimum, honestly, a minimum contract uh, for big men and what you can get for five, six, Million, uh, I, I think I think that paying really call sign nine million would be a, a huge mistake. Well, let, let, let's get into this for a second because I, I mean I've bashed Willie plenty on Twitter and you know in written form as well. But I mean, if we're honest, like Willie Collison, for all the things that frustrate the hell out of us, he's a what low end starter, high end bench big, right? Is that fair to say? I I don't know. I mean, I yeah, I I, I guess I, I would not be comfortable with him starting on a team. I, I don't think there's any team out there that's like, yes, Willie Holly Stein, we want him to be our our starting five. We want him to play twenty six minutes so, a game. That's what I'm saying. Like low end starter or high end bench. Like if he's your okay. bench big and he accepted that role, like that he's higher end on that. If he's your starter, he's one of the worst starters in the league, but he's, he's kind of right on that cusp, right? Like he's right between, you know, good okay. bench big versus bad starter. Is that like, better? like 30th to, to 30, 30th 25th. to 40th best center? Uh, yeah. Like, all right. I, I can get with it. So, I mean, I, I've so, run on the record and like named like a hundred percent forever, but yeah, that's fine. I'll say I'll say twenty fifth to fortieth. Okay. Yeah. So if we say he's twenty fifth to fortieth, somewhere in that range, nine million is not that much for a player in that range. 
So my question I, is, if you brought Kali Stein back on that money, and I think he would be upset, like like Rich is saying, I do think that's oh, an yeah. overpay, <laughs> but I think Kali Stein would be would be pretty damn upset. And does he come back to the team and say, is it that he comes back and decides, okay, I need to accept this role? Or does he come back upset and then blame it on the Kings that he's only getting these offers because he didn't get to present what he thinks he fully is as a player? Oh, I mean, I think we all know that he'd be upset and would not be like a happy camper. (laughs) I mean... I think if you're the Kings, the way you would approach that is, you know, you sit down with them and you say, listen, the reason we matched, the reason we kept you is because we believe in you. We understand you don't want to be here, but play hard. We're going to highlight you for a few months. And then when you're eligible to be traded, we're going to get you to a good situation. Give us a good two months. like." That's all you got to get out of them. And, you know, we've seen Willie put together a good two months. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that that's how you'd have to play it. And then, you know, he becomes eligible for trade. What do guys you sign in the offseason are eligible for trade? What December? Like, yeah. So you're like, give us half of October, give us November and December, and we'll get you somewhere good. Like, we will take care of you. Like, that's how you get him back on board. Yeah, so I I just, I don't know, I I gotta, I know this is like a topic that keeps getting me fired up and I apologize, but (laughs) I just think that, that like, the the center is just a different position now. Like, there is just, if you're a five and you definitely cannot be anything other than a five, if you're a true five, which is no question, that's what really is, you, you, the way that you get paid is not in the same way as one through four, because of what we've seen, the, the evolution away from the traditional center. Well, you can Clint Capella you, is a perfect you, example, right? But Clint Capella does the things that you need a center to do to be a traditional center to do, to be playable. Yeah. And I mean, even he can't be playable in a playoffs. You guys are talking about him signing with a good team with like a competitive team. If he signed with the Golden State Warriors, his career would be over in a year <laughs> because he couldn't play on that team. He can't play on that team. You you can't sign a player like Willie Colley signed to a team that needs you to play within yourself and do very specific things within a role, a controlled role. He's he's gonna want to be Chris Porzingis and Carl Anthony Town on this on that team, which he can't do. Like, look at what Demarcus Cousins has tried to do on that team. He's he's done as best as he can. He's a much more talented player with much more skills. Like he can't come in for $9 million onto that team and, and play that role. Like he, imagine him on the Rockets. Do you know how frustrated that team would get with him when he started shooting mid range jumpers? Yeah. Like that's so not going to work at all. My counter here is that say, I mean, Boogie has justification for having a high ego and wanting to take these shots. Willie Colley Stein does not. Do you think that if he got an opportunity to be on a legit contender, he could get his ego checked and realize that he could be really valuable in this role, or is this just it's not going to happen with him? No, that's not what he wants. He wants to play thirty minutes a night for a terrible team and put up gaudy numbers. Like that's what he wants. So you know, I mean, like that, and I think that's what will happen. I think people have brought up Atlanta as a good destination for him because a Atlanta has some money, and b they don't play defense. 
So, I mean, boom, like let him catch some lobs from Trey Young. Like, that's great. That's great. I, and I think that it'll be much. I think that we're all going to be surprised at how low these offers are, quite frankly. I mean, here's what I'll say. Greg, I've asked if I can quote you on this before and you've said yes. So I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to do it again now. What Greg has said in the past is that however good you think Willie Colley Stein is, that's that's I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher this quote, but it's you can tell how much Kings basketball one person has watched yeah. based on how good they think Willie Colley Stein is. So we're going to tell how much tape each team in the league has watched based on the offer that they give Willie Colley Stein because whatever team decides to give him more than 25 million in guaranteed money, that's a team that hasn't watched Willie Colley Stein closely. So you're telling I, me the I, Lakers I'm, are throwing like three years, 90 million at him. There's no chance the Lakers <laughs> offering the, the Lakers aren't offering him a penny because they can get guys like Tyson Chandler and JaVale McGee on minimums. They can get guys that are every bit as good. Plus they protect the rim for a minimum. There's well, no way they're offering. You're really assuming the Lakers are a smartly run organization though. No, they're not. But I'm also <laughs> saying that, that they're, they listen, <laughs> I'm going off and I'm sorry, but they at least, they at least know that they can't afford an extra dime on like potential. Like they'll go ahead and just get, you know, whoever at the minimum, a vet minimum, Tyson Chandler, they'll they'll go out, watch them get Joachim Noah, watch them get, you know, whoever, Ekpe Udo, someone to protect the rim, but at least the center on the minimum is going to block some shots. That's what they want. They'll, they'll figure it out and do it. Yeah, I'm on. I'm on board with you here. I don't blame you for getting upset. Willie Colley Stein is a very frustrating topic. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I want there to be a path where really somewhere else next season. I'll, I I'm beyond frustrated, waiting for him to come around and and figure it out. Like, you know, it's disappointing. But at the same time, like just because we're frustrated with him doesn't mean that the Kings should handle their asset management poorly. That's my whole thing. It's just that, I mean, $9 million a year, again, this is the king, so you take it with a grain of salt, but that's Costa Kufus money. Like, that's what he was on. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean... Oh, God. Again, it's the king, so it's a rough barometer, but... This so, is a rough episode. It just, <laughs> it just takes one team to, to screw up, you know, and and hopefully one team you know falls in love with the averages and figures they can fix the consistency like that's what you're hoping for right is you know some team comes in with a, an offer that makes the king say hey thanks but no thanks we're we're out at that price yeah um you know and and it's certainly possible it just takes one team uh but you know it it'll it'll give us heartburn for at least another week or two yeah. Rich, when, when we keep talking about these upcoming free agents, I'm going to start using Costa Kufus money as a gauge here, just because it sounds so much lower <laughs> than it actually is. Yeah, I, yeah. So, all right, I'm, I'm, I have my, my spreadsheet all done with centers of who I think, you know, is going to sign for the most. I got them all in tiers. I have a minute tier here. I'm just going to – this is a quick preview of it. I'll run it down real quick. Tell me if I'm, like, totally wrong here, if you think that he's better than what we got right here. This is going top to bottom, centers available, in just in terms of estimated the type of salary I think they'll get. Okay. Here we go. Vucevic, 
Horford, Gasol, Lopez, Favors, Deadman, Valanciunas. Those are those are the top. So we got Vucevic, Horford, Gasol, Lopez, and then a tier below that: Favors, Deadman, Valanciunas, and then this is the tier I have Vuli in with DeAndre Jordan and his Cantor and Demarcus Cousins. Am I crazy? Do you think that he's above that tier of guys? Oh no, 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 no. He's at the bottom of that tier you mentioned. Okay, so that's yeah. like the tier that I have around like seven and a half million, and I, I mean. That's and I'm hoping that the Kings would. If someone offers two fifteen, I think that the Kings should. I don't see that as an asset. I think that's a fair contract. And if it, if he's on a fair contract, it's not a bargain, and it's not it's not adding value at that contract. I think you let that go just because of the the fact that he wants out. So if someone offers two fifteen, I think the Kings would be smart to let him walk and to pursue other options at at the center position. So are you not extending and the qualifying I- offer six point two? Uh, I think that there's a decent case for it. Greg wrote a great article today about why that why they should, or at least why they should consider extending it. It's it, I know that also James Ham wrote an article today about how the the Kings are mulling it. I believe was the word the term that he used. I think that it should be considered. I think there's probably going to be some informal talks between both sides, and they'll figure out what's best for them. But I, I wouldn't rule out either way, honestly. And I don't think you were off at all on your tiers. I think where our disagreement comes in is I think you're underestimating the dollars that tier is going to get. Okay, fair enough. I I, uh, I think the center market remember, is, is down and it's going to stay down. Remember what I said. Take the dollar amount you think a free agent's going to get and add $2 million. For the Kings, yeah. Okay, okay. No, That's for fair. everyone. For every, that's my oh. rule for everyone. That's not the Kings. That's, that's how I approach all of free agency. Whatever you think okay. the guy's probably worth, tack on two million. So that puts that whole tier you were talking about in the, about the nine million dollar range. That's true. And also I gotta, I, I scale my, my estimates down a little bit because if I have anybody too high, someone's gonna scream at me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> It'll probably be me. Yeah, there you go. Um, I the next thing I had here, unless there's anything else you want to go on to, I was going to touch on is Dumar's hiring. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Sounds like we are good. I guess very first thing, Rich, you had someone at your wedding that happened to have a Dumars jersey there. Like, is this a time traveler? What's going on? I think there was a lot of power in this in this union. Uh, something magical <laughs> happened. Yeah, it was crazy, man. I yeah, my cousin Alex, uh, he came through. He texted me. He's like, should I bring one of my Pistons throwback? Because he's a he's a tr- Detroit guy from Michigan. And I was like, yeah, dude, definitely do it. We'll get a picture. And he bought he brought through his 
throwback Joe Dumars jersey. And this was before any news or any rumblings. Like, and I, I promise you, like, there was no, <laughs> this is the least amount of inside information ever. Like, this is just my buddy. My cousin just had a Joe Dumars jersey for whatever reason. I don't know what happened. Sure, sure. We'll go with that. <laughs> uh, crazy, man. Yeah. So the story came out by Sam Amick that he was going to join Vlade staff. And as I understood it, that he was just going to be an advisor to Vlade. Is that the same the same impression you guys got here? Yeah. So officially, uh, I've got the, the press release here in front of me. Uh, special advisor to general manager okay. is his title. So. Uh, Sam Amick, uh, included the details that, uh, Joe Dumars is going to be staying in Los Angeles. He's not going to be like relocated to Sacramento or anything. So he's going to be doing this remotely. Um, he's not like an assistant GM or, or anything like that, but just, uh, an advisor to help with whatever is needed. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, only 21 years old here. I had to do my research on Joe Newmars. Like, I knew the guy. Don't oh, get God. me wrong. But I had to do my <laughs> research. So let's break this down. We got a 14-year NBA player, six-time All-Star, two-time champion as a player. Uh, by the way, it said that this was set to announce Friday. Um, was that the Friday that just passed? I would believe it's next Friday, correct? No, so the the press release came out shortly after Sam's piece, so it has been officially okay. announced. Okay, um, and then his his resume as being part of a front office, he was originally uh, appointed in 2000 to the Detroit staff as an assistant of player development. By the end of the year, was president of basketball operations. Did that from 2000 to 2014. Uh, won that ring in 2004 with Chauncey Billup, Rich Hamilton, those Pistons, and extremely high praise for them, was inducted himself into the Hall of Fame in 2006, and just extremely defensive-minded and a leader of those insane bad boy Pistons. I mean, you guys got to do a little bit more educating towards me in this, but explain to me Joe Dumars. Well, I can get into a couple words here just because I don't have much more. He was before my time, too, really, as a player. But I had the feeling that Alex, my cousin, who's a couple years younger than me, probably bought that jersey in the same way you or I might buy a D-Bots jersey, really. But, uh, uh, yeah, take it away from there, Greg. That's all I really got. All right, children, gather around and, <laughs> and, and let, let old man Greg educate. No, I mean, I mean, he was a, an amazing player, tremendous player. Um, and as an exec, he, he definitely had a mixed bag. I mean, he, he was responsible for building those incredible Pistons teams. Uh, he, uh, he won executive of the year in, I think it was 2003. They won the title in 2004. Uh, you know, he got Ben Wallace as a throw in on a trade from Orlando. He, you know, got Chauncey Billups to join. He traded for Rip Hamilton. I, he, he really built those teams, drafted Tayshawn Prince. He also drafted Darko. So <laughs> there, there was a, a little bit of a mix <laughs> there. Um, now at the time, and this is where, you know, old man Greg comes in. Drafting Darko wasn't crazy at the time. Like there was legitimate debate if he should be drafted first over LeBron. If the Nuggets had had the number two pick, they probably would have taken Darko over Carmelo. 
I mean, that wasn't a crazy thing when it happened. It's just obviously Darko turned out to be, you know, a, a disaster pick. Um, but Joe Dumars did a lot of really good things in Detroit, but he kind of did that whole, you know, you, you live long enough to become a villain thing where he stuck around long enough, made some big mistakes as time went on. Uh, he gave massive contracts one summer to Charlie Villanueva and Ben Gordon. And uh, you can imagine how that probably worked out. Uh, he traded for Allen Iverson. I don't know if you guys remember Allen Iverson as a Pistons. <laughs> uh, he he did, he did a lot of things that didn't work out towards the end. Um, he also um, got fined by the NBA for leaking memos to Woj. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, and the NBA conducted like a sting operation where they sent out memos with slight differences in the details so they could figure out who was leaking things. <laughs> so he, he definitely has a, a mixed history as an exec where he did a lot of really good things and he also has some like major uh, blunders on his record. Yeah. Um, but as far as it goes for joining the Kings front office, like he's not going to be a key decision maker. He's going to be someone who can, you know, like his title says, he's an advisor. Um, the other big thing I see it as is that he is going to come with a Rolodex that Vladi probably could use. You know, he's got contacts and a history throughout this league. And for all the blunders he may have made, he's still well-respected amongst a lot of other execs. Like he's one of those guys that, you know, other execs are going to pay attention to agents are going to pay attention to. So it, it does help the team in that regard. Another assistant coach that was announced was the Kings getting Igor Kokoskov, the head coach of the Suns last year. And me digging into him a little bit, I didn't realize how long he's been an assistant throughout the NBA. Actually, from 2003 to 2008, he was a Detroit assistant under Dumars. Uh, Larry Brown was the head coach for a while there and Flip Saunders as well. So there's a little bit of a relationship there. I don't know if they're necessarily going to be communicating in any sort of way. But there was that for him. Before that, he was a Clippers assistant uh, 2000-03 under Alvin Gentry. Again, under Gentry in Phoenix from 2008 to 2013. A Cleveland assistant 13-14 to 14 under Mike under LeBron James or Mike Brown, whichever way you want to look at it. Uh, a Utah assistant uh, from 15-18 to 18 under Quinn Snyder. Got a head coach opportunity last year in Phoenix which is not exactly the best basketball team, uh, went 19 and 63, probably unjustly got fired, but they had a good opportunity to get a better head coach in, wow, I'm totally dropping the name here. Who's the head coach Phoenix just signed? Monty Williams. There you go. Yes. Um, and now he joins this staff. So, I mean, been around for a while and I, it's a positive. I mean, there's a reason that he got a head coaching opportunity and, one of the big takeaways is that a lot of people worried that Luke was going to bring a, bring along his quote unquote friends from Arizona days that he had on his coaching staff in LA. And it looks pretty clear that that's not going to be the case here in Sacramento. Yeah. I mean, you gotta be happy about getting you as, as uh, a, he hasn't even officially been announced as lead assistant. They could conceivably still hire someone else, but I mean, he, he's a great addition to the staff. He was extremely well respected throughout the league. Like when he got the Suns job a year ago, he was considered one of the top assistants as a candidate to become a head coach. 
one bad year in Phoenix with all that's going on in Phoenix, I don't really hold that against him. You know, I mean, he's one of those guys that if he had to take over as head coach, I think he'd be fine at least as a fill-in. But if he's your lead assistant, he's great. Like, he's a, a great guy to have on staff, and, and I thought it was one of the better moves that the Kings made this summer. 100%. I'm super stoked about having Igor. And uh, the Dumars are, too. Like, I don't know that much about Dumars. I, like you said, though, like, uh, Greg, you know, I mean, this guy, he's got championships in his past as a player and as a GM. That excites me. And then, right, like the same with Kakashkov, he may not have a championship pedigree, but every single thing I've heard about him, if, if, if we're rewinding a year last summer, every single thing I heard about him was positive. Um, you know, and, and yeah, I, I don't blame him one tiny bit. The Suns, uh, their front office has truly – truly moved into first place in the uh, race for incompetence in my mind. So I don't, you know, he, the poor, the poor guy, the poor coach didn't have a point guard. I mean, the whole, the, that whole team, that whole roster was a wreck last year. Uh, I just, I don't hold any of that against him at all. Plus it was his first year as a coach in the NBA, as a head coach. I, I, I believe in the things that people had said about him, the positive things that people had said about him much more than, than that one year off. I feel like we somehow bought super, super low on a great stock here with Igor. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And I mean, just again, to throw the other two names in here for assistant coach, we have Bob Beyer, who's from OKC and Jesse Mermies, I believe it is. Uh, but that's the staff that we currently are looking at. And of course, we got our guy Bobby Jackson as assistant coach for player development is the title that I see. The King's Pulse podcast is now available on the app Podcoin. That is an app where you literally get paid to listen to podcasts. Our podcast is on there. There's plenty of other great content as, re- as well. How it works is for regular listening, you earn one Podcoin every 10 minutes. There's bonus podcasts as well that will include the King's Pulse podcast that you earn one and a half pod coins for 10 minutes. And there's also streak listening where you can earn up to two or two and a half per 10 minutes and you can put those pod coins towards gift cards and other prizes as well that have a cash value. Be sure to download Podcoin and listen to our podcast and the rest of the podcasts that are on there as well. All right, so to close out here, I got a little bit of a game between between you two here, and I figured I would throw you a couple names and see how you guys ranked. Um, let you guess it, who what you think the order is in this stat, and then we can touch on these guys a little bit. I went with free agents upcoming, and starting with three different point guards we have here, I wanted you to guess assist percentage here. So we have it between the guys that – Rich and I have ranked as our top three targets. We have Patrick Beverly, Corey Joseph, and Thomas Sadoransky. Who do you think has the highest, what do you think highest to lowest assist percentages here? Maybe we'll go with Greg first on this one. Rich will go first on the second. All right. And we said it was uh, Beverly, Sadoransky. Sorry, who was the middle guy? And Corey Joseph. 
Corey Joseph. All right. Uh, so I'll put Pepe first, Sandorinsky second, and Kojo third. What do you got, Rich? Oh, uh, I this is tough. This is a tough one. I uh, I'll flip. I'll flip Beverly and Sadoransky. Okay, and so Sado, Beverly, Joseph. Okay, so we got Sadoransky at the top. Rich was right on that one, but then we got Joseph in the middle, and then Beverly at the end. Sadoransky was at twenty four point four percent assist percentage. Joseph's at twenty point six, and Beverly was at eighteen point four. Um, I think that Sadoransky just getting a little bit more play here obviously contributed to that. Um, this was a little bit of a weird stat to start on, but yeah, I mean, we've said before that our number one target out of these was Patrick Beverly. How do you feel about these three different options, Greg? Yeah. I mean, I, I listened to that episode and I, I came away agreeing that, yeah, obviously Beverly's still the, the top target if they're going to upgrade the backup point guard. Um, but after hearing you guys break it down, that, that's really where I started buying in on the idea of getting Sadoransky. Just, I mean, I was vaguely aware of him, but, you know, the more I heard about him, I was like, okay, yeah, that's guy on my radar. Um, Corey Joseph, I think I'm a little lower on him than you guys are, but um, still a, a fine, viable option, especially as like a third option. Next one we got here is three-point percentage among centers, and I have four guys here this time. So we're going to go between Vucevic, Horford, Deadman, and Lopez. Um, if, and who, we had Greg go first last time, so we'll have Rich go first here. Again, three-point percentage between Horford, Vucevic, Deadman, and Lopez. All right. Uh, give me Vucevic on the bottom, followed okay. by Deadman, and then uh, um, sorry, who are the last two guys? Uh, Lopez and Horford. I'm gonna go. We all think of Lopez as this amazing shooter, but his volume is so high. I'm gonna go Lopez second and Horford first. So, so, so I got descending. your order. I got your order. It, it, okay, tell me if this is right. It. You got Horford. Lopez, Deadman, Vucevic. Uh, yeah, I don't know why, but that's where I'm at right now. Okay. I'm going to go uh, Deadman, Vooch, Lopez, Horford. Okay. So, the highest one here is Deadman, 38.2%. The second one we got here, and Greg had that first, Rich had that third. Second one we got here is they're all very the next three are very very close you're all within 0.5 percent of each other uh lopez is second here 36.5 rich had him second greg had him third and third here we got vucevic 36.4 and last is horford at 36 so actually um greg you were extremely close just had Vucevic and Lopez swapped. They're only point. Vucevic and Lopez are point one percent between each other. So you practically got that one right. Um, we haven't really talked about Horford between you and I, Rich. I don't believe. Uh, but first, Greg, 
how do you feel in order of preference between these bigs? Obviously, Vucevic and Horford are demanding more money, and Deadman and Lopez seem that they fit a little bit better. Do you have a preference between any of these? Yeah, I mean, even though he's older and doesn't exactly fit the the age range of the rest of the guys, I mean, Horford, I think, is the best of the options. Uh, if the Kings could somehow get him on a, a somewhat reasonable contract, you know, obviously he's going to command a big dollar amount, but you know, reasonable for him, I I would make that my top choice. Uh, second, what is sorry I, to I interrupt probably, you, but what is reasonable? Yeah. I, I've seen that he's looking for upwards or at four years, hundred million. I think that that's a little high, but. Mostly just because of the length. Like if you said yeah. twenty five million a year for a three year, I, I'm I'm probably fine with that. That fourth year is probably a bit much to ask for a player of his age. Realistically, he's probably not in the Kings' price range, nor is he probably uh, a team. Nor are the Kings probably a team on his radar. So I think it's pretty unlikely. But just from a, a pure talent, ability, fit, all those different things, like I I think he'd be top of the list. Uh, second, I'd put Deadman just because of the value to contract that you would expect for him compared to, you know, the, a guy like Vooch. I'd put Vooch third and I'd put Lopez last. Not that I dislike Lopez, but just out of those four, I'd put him lowest. For my two cents on Horford, I, I think that for so much of the time that we spend on the show and on Twitter and all the time in all the places, all the writing we do, all that stuff. We talk about how much to pay this guy. He's somewhere, you know, whoever it is. Well, 10 million a year would be a good deal. 15 would be pretty good. 20 million to be too high, whatever, whatever. When there's a great player, I sometimes I just want to, sometimes I just want to like reduce this whole concept, uh, all the stuff, all, all the analysis we do. If this guy's a proven great player, pay him to be on your basketball team. End of story. Like there's some guys that I, I've just come around to this way of thinking this like more simplistic way on some of these guys where it's like, is he great? Okay. Get him on the basketball team. And I, I know that's like the cardinal sin of, of Twitter, NBA Twitter, but that's kind of when I, as a, you know, looking through that King's lens again, you need good players on the, on the Kings. This isn't like a really quality science situation where, well, we're worried about a $2 million per year overpay. Get a great player on this team. I'm okay with that. I have such a soft spot for Al Horford. I think that he's one of those guys, like you said earlier, that you can judge someone as a Kings fan on how good they think Willie Cauley-Stein is. It has been the exact same way about Al Horford because the numbers don't even touch the amount of value that he brings to the floor. He is just... He does all the intangibles. I mean, the thing that really I feel like is going to decline with age is his switchability. But I think that you still have a year, two years of him being able to switch onto these guards. I mean, we saw in the playoffs, Eric Bledsoe, that guy's going to blow by him. One of the fastest guys in the league. That's going to happen. But he has a very good switchability. I was looking through clips today, putting together an article that I'll have out in a while. And he drops off of Jamal Murray, Paul Millsap, uh, pick and pop, and then still recovers to the three point line of Paul Millsap and blocks a three. And you, nobody blocks three pointers like 
Al Horford, the amount of defense that he brings, intelligence, just being a smart basketball player, and he's never relied on athleticism, I feel like his game will age well. And, you know, I can wear my green Horford jersey to the stadium. Like, I feel like that would be totally acceptable. Yeah, and this is why I thought Horford was going to be first in this, because this is secretly a Celtics podcast, (laughs) and I thought this was going to be pandering towards the Celtics. Hey, I had my Celtics one earlier, and we started off of this is the podcast where we crap on Willie Cauley-Stein. So really, both of these podcasts are one and the same. (laughs) that's fair i like that and you know the last one i'll give you here is between all these guys we're gonna go rebounds per game and since a stat per game is based on their minutes i'm gonna give you the amount of minutes that these guys played um vucevic played 31 minutes per game that's the top there second was horford playing 29 minutes Third was Lopez playing playing 28.7. And fourth is Deadman playing 25. So if we're talking total amount of rebounds per game, um, I don't remember who went last on that last one or who went first. I think Rich did. Am I correct in that? I think so. Yes, sir. All right. So, Greg, rebounds per game between the four. What do you think? Uh, So I will go... Uh, Vucevic, Horford, uh, Deadman, Lopez. Okay. I'm, I know for sure that, well, I feel like I know for sure that Lopez is last. I just, that's not his game. Uh, I'll put Vuce at the top as well. I feel pretty strongly, uh, I strongly agree with Greg on the top and the bottom. And what did you, what did Greg, what did you do? You put Deadman second or third? He put Horford second, Deadman third. All right, I'll flip those just to be different. And I'll All put, right. yeah, Deadman second, Horford third. So, Rich, you got a spot on here. Um, Lopez, mm-hmm. I mean, first one is Vucevic, easily the best rebounder here, and also the most minutes. Um, I mean, given it's only two to three more minutes than Horford or Lopez. But these guys, I mean, spend a lot more time sitting on the outside while the rest of their team was kind of going to work, getting down low compared to Vucevic doing it on his own and being able to get some of his own rebounds, things like that. Vucevic sat at 9.2. Second was Deadman at 7.5. Third third was Horford at 6.7. And this was the big, big weakness for Horford. And I guess same thing for Lopez. Uh, but Horford has never been a good rebounder. The Celtics have always struggled in that regard because of that. Uh, 6.7. And Lopez, like you said, Rich, clear last. 4.9 rebounds per game. And this is just because he's just, he lived on the three-point line this year. Right, exactly. But that was the last one I had for you guys. Anything else you guys feel like you want to touch on here before we close out? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I... Uh... I think that we're going to get into some nice deep dives here with small forward, power forward, center. Uh, this is, you know, we've covered the guards. I'm looking forward to getting into the meat of it here, especially with Kyle Stein perhaps on the way out. This is going to be a super busy week for us. We're doing five podcasts this week. Yep. Excited about it. So am I. I want to thank you, Greg, for taking the time to come on and update everything that's going on Kings related with us. 
Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, sorry I couldn't make it on earlier, but glad we got around to doing it. And thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. Like Rich said, we have a very busy week. You will hear an episode from us every single day. So look for the next one tomorrow.